I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is author and financial services professional Harvey Warren. His new book is The Optimized Patient, How to Prepare for, Survive, and Recover from Spine Surgery. Experts estimate that up to 80% of the population will experience back pain at some time in their lives. After three years and seven spine surgeries, Harvey Warren finally figured out what it takes to make the best recovery from the damaging effects of incisions, anesthesia, antibiotics, and opioids. He developed a guide with insight from a team of six spine patients, four surgeons, two physical therapists, a chiropractor, and a nutritionist that's dedicated to helping anyone prepare to be an optimized patient. He's enjoyed many careers from screenwriter to film producer to financial services professional and with a bachelor's degree in communications from Ithaca College and a master's degree from Syracuse University. Writing has always been his passion. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Harvey. Well, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I guess apparently, and uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a real problem. Obviously, it almost sounds like an epidemic, back, sur- back pain, I guess, chronic pain. Back pain, and I'm just going to say these come from your statistics. It counts for more than 264 million lost work days in one year, and back pain can affect all of us, all ages, from adolescence to the elderly. So we have a big problem here. So and we sometimes don't do anything about it for a lot of reasons. We'll talk about that. Um, why? So I, I don't know, maybe why did you write the book? It seems obvious why you wrote the book. You yourself suffer or did suffer from back pain. So maybe start with your own story. Well, yeah, let me, just, let me go back and say it's been three surgeries in seven years, not seven surgeries in three years. Oh, okay. I just got your numbers flipped there <laughs> for a second. Our, but yeah, yeah okay. after three surgeries, I really understood that um, a back surgery is a real complex problem. Over seven years, you kind of, if you're really lucky, and I talk about dumb luck in the book, if you're really lucky, you bump into people that are super smart and have a solution to the problem and have some good guidance to give you. Um, you know, I always say that you know, nobody knows everything, but everybody knows something. And bumping into everybody you need to know uh, on your first surgery is not going to happen. You really need some guidance on how to get it done correctly. All right, so you're going to give us that guidance, and you take us through that in each chapter of your book. Actually, you can go online and read some of the sort of the openings to the chapter, uh, which I did. Um, and I think the first one, uh, the first thing that you mentioned is you have to be committed to surgery, and and people are afraid to do that, especially when it's back surgery. And talk to us about the difference between being committed to back surgery as opposed to any other surgery, because I people are reluctant to get their go under the knife for their backs. Well, yeah, the fear part of it really keeps people from engaging, and they want to try anything, just like I did. I went through epidurals, I went through chiropractic, yoga, pick something. I tried it in order to avoid back surgery. The real issue is, you know, in the commitment side, is once you decide that you really want to get back surgery, you're going to put yourself through something that's very physically demanding. The question is, do you have the commitment to do the work on nutrition and activity and mindset in order to get yourself into a place where you'll actually recover. That's the big challenge. All right. So, in other words, you'd rather most people or many people would rather just endure chronic pain all their lives rather than to make that kind of a commitment. Um, obviously, you've talked to a lot of people. Um, some people just can't go or don't go through it. How do you know you're the person who can do that? Let, let, maybe we should start with that. Um, well, yeah, that becomes the mindset element. 
And the question is, well, you have to have that conversation very frankly with your doctor. If your weight's not correct or if you have that mindset of the individual says, you know, I'm coming here because my husband really wanted me to or my wife really wanted me to. I've been doing this for years, tried everything, nothing's ever worked. You know, I hear all these terrible stories about spine surgery. I am no con- I don't know. This is not going to work for me. It works for everybody else maybe, but I'm different. It's not going to work for me. If you come with that mindset, it's probably not going to work for you. People so need is- to believe that their surgeon has new methodology, new technology. They need to believe that they're going to do the activity and they're going to get the rest and they're going to do all the things that their doctor's going to tell them to do and their physical therapists are going to tell them to do. If they do those things, they will get better. They have to come with a mindset that believes that. Well, doesn't the surgeon also have to evaluate the patient in terms of that? Because I think most people sort of think, well, if I get the best surgeon, best surgeon in the world, best surgeon in the United States, that I'm going to be cured. And they sort of, the other stuff goes by the by, at least in the beginning. And you, ha- as you say, the mindset thing is really critical. So when surgeons in your experience, and you've talked to a lot of them, I'm assuming, uh, do they know how to evaluate a patient in terms of mindset? Not just in terms of physically they would be able to do it. They're the right weight. They're healthy in other areas, all of those kinds of things, because that's not mindset. That's something very different. Uh, Catherine, you've hit the nail right on the head. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's a very interesting and a very important question. So first of all, um, people don't really understand what surgeons do. Uh, surgeons open your back up, put in instrumentation, screws, cages, bars, whatever is necessary, and close you up. People think that when you're closed up, you're now okay. And they don't really realize that the work just begins when you wake up. Now there's walking and there's eating properly and there's getting good rest and there's having a good mental attitude that you walked 20 feet today and you could only walk 10 feet yesterday. You, people don't really understand that their surgeon's not going to help them with that part. Their job ends when they sew you up. Now, to your second part of your question, isn't it up to the surgeon to evaluate your readiness for it or your, uh, what would be the right word there, uh, whether readiness. or not you're a good candidate? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's critical to the, to the entire process. The surgeon has to make a very um, certain determination there, there are a lot of surgeries, and it's a big issue within the medical community now about elective surgery, about whether surgeons are really doing a good job with that. Are they really uh, very critically analyzing people and saying, oh, you know, this fellow Harvey Warren, he's just not going to get better. We really shouldn't do his surgery. And so the insurers want doctors to be a little bit more uh, conscientious about that, and now they're looking very, very closely at what they call patient outcomes. They're looking at doctors' batting averages, and saying, why are your patients not getting better? Well, one of two reasons. Either you're a terrible doctor or you've not selected the right patients to do the surgery with. And and on the other side of that is what kinds of questions, and I think you you talk about this in your book, what questions should patients or potential patients be asking their surgeons? Because there's a whole lot of lingo involved. Some of it they don't know, they don't understand. You've got to ask the right question to your surgeon as well. And that sort of helps them to get some insight, he or she, into what your outcome will be or whether you're a candidate. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the very nub of the book. We all know what questions ask spine surgeons before our first spine surgery, right? No, no one has any clue on what they're supposed to be asking. Um, 
And that's really a, a, a very big issue. So you have to ask your doctor, do you do minimally invasive surgery or do other kinds of surgery? Are you new school, old school? And there's a lot of questions asked, and we've got them all in the book. All right, so you're going to share any of those with us? I know there's a lot in the book. How about talking about some specific patients, case studies, people you've, you know, the, the people that you've, that you've interviewed, investigated? Give us some examples. Good outcomes, bad outcomes. Well, my outcomes. favorite's Doug Amen. Uh, Doug, uh, Doug, this is an incredible story. Doug uh, fell off a mountain. He slid 300 feet down a glacier. And uh, when Doug woke up, he was in a fetal position, face down the snow, and uh, called search and rescue to get him out of the wilderness. And because he wasn't suffering from broken arms or legs or wasn't bleeding, they made him walk out of the wilderness over eight hours, not realizing that the reason he couldn't breathe wasn't because he had broken ribs. He had an actual broken back, and he had a T1 burst fracture. And, and Doug's recovery and Doug's story of, of doing everything he needed to do and he actually wrote an addendum to the book for caregivers about how individuals in your family uh, or your extended friends or whomever is going to look after you uh, when you come back from surgery are going to need to understand that it's going to be a different Dougie than he was when he showed up. <laughs> when he shows up from the hospital than when he left for, for hiking. Um, people need to understand that are going to look after these folks that come out of this kind of surgery. They're, for a little bit, they're going to be a different individual after anesthesia, antibiotics, and opioids. Uh, there's a period in there after surgery where you're not quite yourself anymore. You say there's a period after surgery where you're not quite yourself. Now, is that, in most cases, that <laughs> dissipates, or does that continue and you have a whole personality change? What happens? Well, no, I, I think you get better after a while. Um, you know, at some point, though, however, when you're just out of, Surgery, it is a little challenging, i got to be honest with you. Um, it was very challenging for Doug, and he felt compelled to write an, an addendum for the folks that uh, are going to buy the book or read the book to understand that as a caregiver, uh, individuals that come out of that kind of major surgery are going to uh, be a little different. Uh, anesthesia and all of that trauma has a real effect on you. It really does. After a couple weeks, months, you're starting to be yourself again, and your head clears, and you're all wonderful again, and you're optimized, you know, because the thing that we're after and what we want people to learn how to do is to prepare for surgery. I mean, the optimization idea really came from, as you, if you've read the book, you know, getting hit by the bus. We really tell people that, you know, this surgery experience is not unlike getting hit by a bus. My surgeon said it's like getting hit by a Mack truck. And so if you knew you were going to get hit by a bus on December 22nd, wouldn't you want to be in the best shape possible to hope you could survive that? Well, it's interesting that you're using that analogy because I have to say when I gave birth, maybe you don't want to hear this, but to my first son after 14 hours of labor, that's exactly how I described it. I feel like I got hit by a Mack truck. I feel like my whole body has been, you know, really under the bus. Anyway, so I guess it's – so I can understand that – Feeling. It's 100% the it, same thing, One, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Question, the caregivers, and they are important. I think that's really an important topic. That I'm glad you covered that in the book. But then caregivers should be part of the evaluation process, too. If you're going in for surgery and you're talking about and you're asking the questions to your surgeon, the caregiver, <laughs> who the one who's going to have to take care of you or be with you, whomever that is, <clears throat> needs to be there, too. That is a sensationally important point. <laughs> Let me just tell you, personally, 
uh, I was taking some kind of drug or other, I forget what it was, and my wife says to me, hey, you know, you're supposed to stop doing that after, like, whatever, four days. And I was like, what? She goes, no, you're not supposed to take that anymore. I'm like, what? She said, well, you know, when the guy came in after the surgery, the nurse came in and said this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's You have no idea how blanking anesthesia can be to you. You have to come back and go like, what? So it's critical, Catherine, just critical that, yes, your caregiver needs to be with you whenever you're sitting with the doctor, pre-op and post-op, to make sure that someone that's not going to be recovering from anesthesia has a clear head and understands exactly what needs to be done. So you're, uh, you had surgery because, what, you had a car accident? It was your, your pain or your chronic pain was a result of a car accident? Yeah, yeah, I had, uh, unbeknownst to me, I had some stenosis in my back, which is a sort of a narrowing of the, of the nerve root canals. And I got hit in a car crash. I was a passenger. We were going to Evanston, Wyoming on a business trip. And the fellow driving the car didn't see the uh, stop sign. And uh, we got T-boned at an intersection. And, and I, was, I thought I was okay. And we got up and got checked out. And we were like, okay. I, they took me to the hospital to make sure I was all right. And I seemed to be all right, uh, a little bruise and this and that. But three days later, uh, there was swelling in my spinal cord, and I just I couldn't walk. That's a problem. That's a big problem, yes. <laughs> so you, you were then that's when the surgeries began, right, I'm assuming? The no, three... no, boy, we can't no? just go straight to the spine oh, surgery. Okay. That's a terrible idea. we got to go to see the chiropractor. we got to go get epidurals. We don't want people cutting us up. And I think that's part of really the issue that I try to address in the book is that, you know, I learned something from Bill Walton, the NBA superstar. Bill is part of a group of us that are spine surgeons and have sort of like a community of folks that exchange information, which was somewhat the genesis of the book. And Bill said to me, hey, listen, you've got to get into a swimming pool. That's part of the magic of getting better for this thing. And I asked my uh, physical therapist about that, and they said, well, yeah, I mean, your body is unloaded in the, you know, reduced G inside a swimming pool, so you weigh about 30% of what you would normally weigh on the ground. And your ability to walk back and forth and to uh, regain mobility uh, will help you post-op. But most importantly, and this is for everyone that's listening to this pre-op, if you've got a lot of back pain, get into a swimming pool three times a week, one hour a time, walk back and forth. You don't need to swim or be, you know, brilliant in the water. Just go to chest-high water and walk back and forth. The experience of unloading your spine in the reduced gravity and the pressure and the resistance of walking back and forth creates core strengthening. In a month of doing that, if your back still really hurts, you need to see a spine surgeon. If your back doesn't hurt, you're probably suffering from muscle pain and all you need is some exercise. Okay, when you say you need to see a spine surgeon... It seems to me, at least in my experience with my friends, my colleagues, that, that if people with back pain and, as you say, they don't really want to have spine surgery and there's a lot of denial and all of that, when they see one spine surgeon, they seem to want to go on, they get several opinions. They have no problems when it comes to spine surgery to get several opinions. And oftentimes in that case, there are just so many different responses from the surgeons that, you know, yeah. in terms of what kind of surgery, not, and, and I know that happens in other maybe uh, areas, but not as much as with, with, with uh, spinal surgery. Why is that? Well, uh, I had two opinions. Uh, and my original opinion, I'm, I'm, like I said, there's a lot of dumb luck. 
my nephew is an anesthesiologist in New York. I'm here in Los Angeles. And I got my pre-op orders, and being the sort of cautious fellow I am, because I avoided this for years, his name is Edward. I said, Edward, could you read this? Take a look and see what do you think. He goes, eh, I don't know. You may want to get a second opinion on that. He said, there's newer technology, newer approaches. You might want to look into it. By dumb luck, again, a, an attorney friend of mine I was having lunch with you know, a couple of weeks later said, hey, I just had the same thing you're talking about. This doctor is fantastic. You need to see him. And sure enough, he had a very, very different approach to the surgery. And when I got done listening to him, I was like, wow. I mean, I may not have gone to medical school, but that just sounds like a better idea. And it turns out, ultimately, it was a way better idea that, that this surgeon that I ultimately lose, Dr. Sanjay Karana, had a much more uh, refined technique, a much more minimally invasive technique, and used a, a newer technology in order to fix the problem and uh, probably save me a wheelchair. Um, you really have to be very careful about the choice you make. And I, I cover as much as I can in the book the questions to ask doctors. And the most important thing is people know in their gut when they're talking to somebody that they're either going to do the right surgery or they're not. They look like they're up to the minute or they're not. Um, yeah, they need to be up on the, on the most current technology. That's really the most important thing. These doctors, these good spine guys, are all massively skilled. They're good at exactly one thing, which is repairing, you know, whether it's a broken you know, vertebrae or a bulging disc. They're experts at those particular things, or in my case, clearing out the stenosis in your nerve canals. They know how to pick that out and make it work. But the real challenge, honest, Catherine, the challenge is you're, it's more likely you're going to not do your exercise and not eat the right food and not get the right rest and abuse your opioids and be afraid that you're not going to get better. That's way more likely than you're going to get a bad surgery. Yeah, a good note to end on, and that's so true. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've covered just a, a small portion of what's in your book, and I do recommend the book, The Optimized Patient. We, <clears throat> we only have a couple minutes left, How to Prepare for, Survive, and Recover from Spine Surgery. And we're talking to Harvey Warren, who is the author of the book. So, uh, you know, update us, Harvey. Where can we go, website uh, or websites, to get more, to get information about the book and about you? Well, yeah, the optimizedpatient.com, that's the word, the optimize, O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-D, optimizedpatient.com. Uh, everything is on there. We have a number of uh, filmed uh, interviews with doctors from Duke that were not part of our project but were remarkably congruent with exactly what we were saying about nutrition and how that has a huge effect in your, on your postoperative outcome. There's links to uh, the books uh, on the website, and uh, Amazon.com has the book, uh, both in uh, print book, ebook, and in audio book. For those of you that just never have time to read a book and want to listen to it in the car, you can download it and hear me talk to you for six hours, and boy, won't that be fun, huh? That sounds great. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the show. <laughs> I'll be listening. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Okay. Bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 